Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, where designers discussing design. We're on episode 67, and we're just simply calling this the Q&A episode. That's right, we're at the beginning of the year, and we thought we'd uh, give our guests a bit of a break, start off the new year right, and just give you some extra quality send Tyler and Daryl time. That's right, you're stuck with us for a whole episode, and uh, i got to pass it to my bearded brother, the bearded meeple, Tyler Anderson. How are you doing, man? I am doing fantastic, as I like to say. I've uh, had a great Christmas, great holiday season. Had an awesome time at the Meeple Syrup Camp this past weekend. Who didn't? Um, Who didn't? Exactly. I'm looking forward to 2016 and all it can potentially bring. Excellent. So um, this year, this show is actually kind of a, <laughs> a take on a Reddit AMA. This is an Ask Us Anything question an answer sort of period. You can ask Daryl, myself, Tyler uh, questions, and if you don't, we're going to. So um, I know there's a couple questions up on the board already from Sir Bob. Love Sir it. Bob asks, is there anything new or new goals for the show? Daryl, would you like to field that question? Great question. So we are into a new year, and we're going to try to continue to do what we have been doing well. Um, one of the things that we really find people have resonated with is trying to get new guests on. So uh, we are going to keep trying to hunt down new people that people are interested in hearing from, if that's a new designer, a publisher, uh, someone in the industry. If, uh, if our viewers want to talk to them and you have a connection, feel free to connect them to us. Uh, but one of our goals is to continue to bring on some fresh voices and then as well bring back some of the favorites. So um, as it's a new year, we like to try to spread it out and not just have the same guests on over and over again. So now that we're into a new year, it's a brand new excuse to bring back some of our favorites. Uh, so if there is someone that you wish that uh, that episode would keep going, well, here's your chance again to let us know uh, who do you want to come back. That's right. Pass this over to Tyler because he's one of the newest of the crew here too, and I mean this is one of the the new additions of the show. But what is one thing or a few things that you're hoping um, for to bring to the show for the new year, Tyler? Um, I just hope uh, some sanity, some uh, self-esteem <laughs> from you or from <laughs> us. Looks or what? <laughs> yes, well, I'm hoping that we'll get sent a beard one day. It yes. happen. I should get one. I should just, just a fake beard, just one beard, beard just to fit in a big red beard. <laughs> That'd be, That'd be awesome. It'll be like you want like ZZ Top, two guys with beards, one without. So. Yeah, I'm the cool guy. I'm also I'm also as we're talking, I am assembling an awesome dice tower from uh, from our weekend. Does someone want to explain what? Oh this yeah, is? well Daryl ex- assembles that. I don't think he can assemble and talk at the same time. <laughs> it's like chewing gum and walking for Daryl. Um, but so watch as he assembles this. This is a Slot A into slot B, uh, wooden mini dice tower with a Meeple Syrup logo, courtesy of our friends at customgamebits.com out of 
the Ottawa Valley area. And they came down to the Maple Syrup Camp with a bunch of these in tow, and they left with none at all. Why? Because people love them. Um, they also made us some custom uh, tokens, which I think I showed off on our webpage. That's their logo, customgamebits.com. And they do great work for anything that you'd like laser cut. Uh, they can custom do that for you. They do a lot of Eve Tourniers and Al Ledux uh, wooden parts and actually acrylic parts as well. So they'll cut in acrylic, they'll cut in plastic. Um, if you have something you want cut for your prototypes, this is a great way to go. And the Canadian dollar is very low, so if you're American, hey, there you go. Uh, another incentive to get that in. And if you are exceptionally skilled, you can actually flick one of those little round tokens into the dice tower if your name is Jonathan Gilmore. You'll notice, this is actually the coolest thing, that I, I mean, I like this a lot, is that the bottom, if you can see that there on Daryl's picture, he's pointing his finger through it, is empty. So you don't have to reach into it to grab the dice. You can just actually lift the whole thing away, and there's your dice, uh, which is, is a neat way of doing it. It's a little lighter, a little more compact, and it ships for, like, next to nothing because it's really just a couple pieces of flat wood. And then you stick it all together. So there you go. Custom game bits. That'd be hilarious. If, tower. It'd be hilarious if they made them out of balsa wood and people get them as just like crumbles. Like, oh, what I do. <laughs> no, this is high quality Canadian hardwood. I don't yes. actually know what it is. They, they are, they are very so nice. Uh, they're going to be making some uh, product for uh, Bearded Meeple as well that we're going to be giving away. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe we'll do that through the show. Sure. At some point as well. Yeah. Um, so, one thing. One yep. thing I would actually like to look forward to 2016, and I actually hadn't talked to you guys about this, but I think it would be cool um, each week we're on if we did like a little segment, say, hey, you know, this is what we're talking about this week, but highlight like a new like independent Kickstarter or something, like something from the little guy that's a new designer coming out saying, hey, check this out on Kickstarter and blah, blah, blah. Like do it as like a little feature or something. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about doing different segments. We don't really have any segments yeah. as as a show. We just do our first kind of blurb and then go from there. And so if people want to know more from us as to what we think about a Kickstarter, let us know and, and we'll, we'll uh, consider doing that. It never was the intention of our show to be a marketing vehicle. Yeah. Uh, that's why we asked you to join us. <laughs> which, which I think it's a, a good thing to point out to people as well so that people understand this. That, that our hope is to continue to point people at when we get sent review copies or if we get requests about reviews, um, we will point you to Tyler. And because uh, yeah. we think he does great videos and uh, we think that you'll be very happy with the end result. Uh, he's made well over 200 videos in less than a year and yet, um, you know, they're just blowing up. He's getting more and more subscribers, so we really believe in what he's doing, and so we want to support mm -hmm. that as well as he supports us with this. So Now, that's not to say we wouldn't want new designers at all on the show. No. New designers talking about design? Yes. Kickstarter? Mm, well, not, I'm not necessarily like, hey, we're plugging their Kickstarter, but like a, a new designer that's like a fledgling into the industry. Sure, that also like, happens to have a Kickstarter live yes. right now. That's totally yeah. fine. I mean, we and we've done that before. Uh, a lot of our earlier shows were lesser known people, as yep. we were lesser known. It just happened that way. So, um, oh, oh, I oh, know what yes. I'm getting in 2016. Oh, I'm what's gonna, that? 
I'm going to be designing my board game tattoo. I don't know where I'm going to put it on my body, but it will be going on me. So. Oh, yeah. If you've nice. ever met Tyler, you know that there's not a lot of real estate left on there for tattoos. <laughs> I'll just grow project. more real estate. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that what you're doing? That's the strategy. Nice. Area control? <laughs> Screw area control. I'm just going to grow more area. That's, a, that's an awesome idea for a game. A I know, growing, right? <laughs> A growing area so that... Oh, yeah. Write that down. Write that down. Good idea. Good idea. Um, goals for the show for me... Uh, let me I mean, I, I think it'd be nice to... While I definitely want... If people have ideas give them to us. We're happy to do that. If people want to know anything about the industry from the inside out, let us know. We'll dig that out for you. We'll find the people who know what you want to know. But one thing I want to have more of is really more content in terms of what we're giving back to the community that lasts longer than the video. I mean, yes, you can go watch the video game, but a lot of people may not have the time to watch the video, and I've been really very impressed by people like League of Extraordinary Game Makers, um, by Cardboard Edison, and mm -hmm. what those sites are doing in terms doing of some providing some stuff. resources. And I know that if you go to Jay and, and my website about our blog on how to pitch and whatnot, we give you guys a ton of stuff there. But I think Meeple Syrup can also be an outlet for maybe some more design-related things, because that's really what we started as and every now and then we stray a little bit far from the from that goal but I think we always bring it back uh, to design in the end I'd like to have some more design centric content uh, not only on the video shows but on the website itself so if there's anybody out there who wants to contribute um, I think we're going to start that up very shortly in terms of having our blog section of the Meeple Syrup website, MeepleSyrupShow.com, be content that way instead of just promoting this actual show. Uh, because people come here anyways, and they, they see our videos anyways. Um, or how there's another back-end way to it. In actually, in many ways, there's ways to this. Whereas, I think the front page, I'd like that to be more content-specific. So that might be a 216 goal for us, 2016. Oh. He's back. Who's back? Oh, you cut out for me, at least, for a little bit there. Oh, did I? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was, it was a breakdown. Know. A breakdown break style. Yeah. Uh, I, remember, I remember the good old days of Robot Send. Robot Send yeah. was awesome. <laughs> oh, That's man. something for not, not for 2016. Not for 2016, yeah. Um, some other things that we've talked about uh, that we've hinted at, uh, which we'll still need your feedback, but uh, we're really thankful uh, to David Tomey for getting the audios up, so we're going to keep trying to do that. Um, we're really thankful for all the work that he's done in making that possible so that you can uh, catch these on iTunes. Um, uh, another thing that we have discussed is the RV trip idea. Maybe we'll circle around to that later in the episode uh, today. Um, and then uh, along the kind of the, the uh, same lines is of, of what Sen was saying about uh, the guests that we pursue, there's a lot of specific game design questions or topics that we still haven't handled or we haven't tackled, per se. And so we have a long list of things, anything from workflow to discussing contracts to story arcs to content development to working on Vassal or working on uh, tabletop simulator. 
uh, the math, game theory. I mean, we have a variety of topics that we would really like to tackle, and I think there's some interest out there. So stay tuned as this year we'll try to tackle some of those and scratch some of those off our list. Mm -hmm. Tyler? Um, One one thing that we uh, just did a couple episodes ago when we went to New Zealand and Australia is, uh, I don't know if you guys have done this on a previous episode yet, but the... uh, the Asian game market is rather mm-hmm. huge, and they have a lot of stuff that we just don't see over here at all. So it'd be nice to uh, to get some perspective from uh, from that. Oh, trust me, the market. Tokyo game market is a dream of mine. So it's on think, the wish list. I think Chow is going this year, so if he goes, we'll definitely hook him up uh, as a man on the street. If yep. I can't go myself, because it usually falls within like the last couple weeks of May, and depending on my teaching schedule, I may or may not be able to go. However, it happens twice a year, so twice a year. Kind of well, and that, that probably bridges us into another topic, uh, which is conventions. Oh uh, yeah, we were talking about that all starting, today. You know, it's the beginning of the year, and it's unbelievable. But you have to start planning now. Literally, Gen Con, you have, I believe, I could be wrong on this, but I believe you have less than three weeks. You have exactly sixteen days. Sixteen days. That's right. Just over two weeks to sign up and get your hotel room. Um, the hotel room will be released on the... 22nd. 22nd. Um, so that will be the dogfight of, of uh, Gen Con rooms. <laughs> that will be the day I sit at my computer <laughs> and repeatedly press F5. F5. <laughs> or if you're like me, because you have a horrible time slot, you just sit and cry. Oh, yeah, he was, you were horrendous. <laughs> or you're Paul saying, and you sign up the day of, and they screw up, and they just let you in right away. Because you're Paul saying. Because you're Paul saying, and why but wouldn't that's, you? But didn't he have a vendor table as well? No, but what, I guess there was a glitch last year, which hopefully is fixed, or oh, you're hearing yes, this, and it, you're going to take it to your advantage. But the day of, instead of giving you a time slot, they just automatically let you in. ha <laughs> So all the people that bought their 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 tickets beho- beforehand um, did not get that privilege, but all the people that left it to last minute had a nice sneak attack. Oh, sneak attack, ninja style. Okay, so there's more questions from our Ask Me Anything or Ask Us Anything list over here, right over here. Um, oh, more Sir Bob. Sir Bob asks, has the Meeple Syrup Show helped or hindered your designing? How so? Daryl? Oh, that's a good question. Actually, it's, it's probably a, a, a pro and a con. The, the obvious pro is I've learned a ton. So um, talk about um, just being able to ask every designer that you respect and love point-blank questions. In the back of the mind, you're actually answering design questions that you have yourself. Like, that's, that's an automatic awesome perk uh, is, is getting to ask a well-respected, accomplished uh, designer and new designers that have new ideas and creative solutions, how to tackle things. Also, um, on the positive side, I co-design, so uh, the the opportunity to meet new people and and find new people to co-design with has been an obvious uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the cons that I can automatically come to my mind um, could be the time we we spend a lot of time on this, and so obviously that is not design time. Now for me. I'm okay with that because I really love the interaction and the learning and all that. But for some people in the hobby, they want to spend all their time 
designing and playing games. So don't do a show then. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that would be I'm right off the top of my head, and I'll bounce it to the other guys, and maybe something else will come to mind. But uh, I'm curious, Tyler, what do you think, being early on, um, this is taking away from review time for you, and as you've mentioned in the past, you have a lot of games to do. Do you find you know pros, cons to doing the Meeple Syrup Show? Uh, I actually look forward to the Meeple Syrup Show because... I mean, obviously, there's probably a lot of fledgling designers that will watch the show uh, just to get some ideas of how the industry will work, different processes or process I. I don't know how you'd say that. Um, I like uh, being involved in the show because it gives me a peek behind the curtain because I'm just getting game after game. I just see finished product, and it's like, wow, this is fantastic, or this really worked. But now I can see everything else, such as going to the Maple Syrup Camp, sitting in the prototype room, like, uh, I took a look at uh, a certain game that deals with vehicles in the sky, and I had hey, taken a look talk, at... You can talk openly about that. Yeah, uh, about the airplane game. Um, but I, I had seen it uh, five months ago, and it was, like, way different now, and by the time it gets published, it might change again. So you just it's nice to see those different iterations and how things evolve, because most of the public will just see finished product and they don't understand how much work you guys put into and years sometimes of making this thing come alive. Mm -hmm. Does okay. it make you want to design at all, Ty? Um, I have had a couple ideas that I've kicked around, but <laughs> I, I, I'm okay with just saying, oh, hey, Daryl, have you ever thought of doing a game like this? Or I'll say to Eric when I see him at game nights on Monday, I'll be like, Oh, Eric, do do this lawnmower game or something. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I don't That's know. I, I I enjoy the playing, the the creative process. I have plenty of creative juices in there. I've just I haven't crossed that bridge. And don't worry, did, Tyler. I'll take all your good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I get a little mention in the back. I stole yeah. this from. <laughs> exactly. So for me, um, it's taken away time. I guess. That's like Daryl said. That's probably the biggest con, but the the pros vastly outweigh the cons. Uh, Meeple Syrup has been responsible uh, for several of our games actually getting signed. Mm -hmm. It's it doesn't. It's not like a direct translation, but if we didn't have Meeple Syrup, there are certain publishers who we wouldn't have known and wouldn't have had such a good relationship with right off the bat before we even you know meet them in person, we've met them online, and we've had dialogue with them, and I understand where they're coming from, they understand where I'm coming from, and so we can make their our product meet their demands. So the Meeple Syrup Show has been invaluable in that regard in terms of helping Jay and myself basically get our products into the hands of the people that matter. And knowing who matters uh, has been a really good thing. It's also helped in terms of industry knowledge, of course, and understanding how things work. Today I was just asked, so who do you want to do your art for this? And I said, mm -hmm. oh, I know exactly who um, because I've met them on this show. Um, so there's a lot of, of things like that where the show has been much more output than input, and I'm, I'm happy for that. If it ever changed, if it was more input than output, I think that would be time to reconsider <laughs> that we do it at all. Yeah, um, it's a serious it, question for sure. 
yeah, has it helped my design? Yeah, definitely. Um, there are some times when my mind is literally blown, like like I'm like Jackie Chan, mind blown. Um, the meme, that's, I don't just look like him. Uh, <laughs> I, my mind is actually getting blown at the time by people just dropping science. Um, like when Eric Lang is on the show, when Bo and Nate were on the show, when you know Jeff Engelstein was on the show, when any of those guys who not only make a good game but talk a good talk on the show, I listen. And if you're out there in Meeple Syrup land not listening to some of these guys, go back in the archives and check. There are some amazing little tidbits of information. Michael Coe's whole episode is quote-worthy. Uh, Kevin Wilson's whole episode is quote-worthy, where they just drop little tidbits every sentence they say. Yep. That makes so much sense in... Scott Nicholson. Scott Nicholson, yeah. Seems. And how... How they how they design or how they look at the industry or how they interact mm -hmm. in the industry, how their customer service, their design, pro all these things that make you want to work with this person, you'll learn on this show uh, because we're able to get a little intimate and interactive with them, which is nice. Okay. So yeah, it's helped how I design. It helped. It's helped how I think about things. It's helped even learn some of the lingo um, in terms of you know we call it one thing, other people call it another thing, and then just getting the parlance down is nice so that we can talk on the same level and we understand what each other are talking about. So that's been good. I like Absolutely. that. Speaking of which, uh, not not name dropping, but uh, people that you've you've been able to get to know, uh, meet through the show, uh, Shem Phelps. I yeah. know you guys can be like, oh yeah, Raiders of the North Sea. I love that game. I love it, but if, I love it though, dude. If I, it hadn't been for the show, I never would have been able to I have yet to play that game. That's the craziest part. I've, I've emailed him a bunch of times, but to actually interact with him and you know, get into his head a bit. It was just like, wow, that was uh, that was fantastic. Very cool. Christopher Chung is making a competing YouTube show. Of our show. Oh yeah, right I gotta disappear for a couple of minutes. So. <laughs> All right, good to know. Oh, good. Maybe, Beth's here. Maybe he won't forget us uh, when he's all big time. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he's uh, he's gonna be his game is gonna be shown on tabletop. So episode that, one of season four. Yeah, so that's great news for Chris. Chris is a very good friend of ours. Um, for now. For now, so. until he becomes too big. <laughs> we we uh, we were the we were the the stepping stones he walked all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because. Um, uh, this is this this may be as much of a claim to fame for me as naming Caffeine Rush, <laughs> but uh, I think I might have been one of the first people to say, "Hey, that game about flowers, change it to something else, but keep working on it because it's awesome." Nice, nice. I definitely, I definitely remember playing it early on and being like, "I like this game." I don't and get the flowers. <laughs> I, actually, you know what? It's yeah, funny. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm okay even with the flowers. And the funniest thing came out in a conversation. I can't remember why this came up, but I was talking like to... Like just this weekend? No, no, no. More, long ago. Longer ago than this weekend. But I was talking to Scott Gaeta. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he said he kind of liked the flowers more. Oh, well, so Scott... I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe someday we see a flower version. That'd be kind of cool. An Ikebane version. So speaking of speaking of Scott, which is a perfect example of the relationships that we can build through maple syrup, mm -hmm. um, 
Scott is a wonderful, wonderful guy, by the way. Uh, I, so I want to make a game with him someday. So wonderful <laughs> that he's that we're working on a game together. Are you? Yeah. Uh, jealous. Yeah. Him and, and Randy, uh, I would love to work a game with those guys. But the guys. thing about it is that even before that, you know, he supported our show. Whenever yes. we're at cons, I instantly will go and videotape something of him doing something because I want to support him and all the other publishers that are support our show and all the yeah. publishers I know. I'm just talking Scott particularly right now because I was looking at my inbox earlier saying that I need to call him tomorrow for something. That's awesome. But that's the example of, of how, the, 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 how the game changes when, you know, Meeple Syrup is involved in it for me personally. Yep. That uh, Meeple Syrup becomes a way that I can learn about people, the industry, about the um, publishers and other industry people without being a designer. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a safe thing. Yep. Well, and I can think of some other examples of sponsors and our deeper relationships with them. I can think of Tyler um, with R&R Games. Hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get to see Tyler more and more at their booth, but he's you know, um, helped uh, us make some videos. Do you, Tyler, do you want to tell people about the videos we've been making for R&R? Uh, sure. Um, right before I do that, though, uh, yes. when you're talking about uh, some people now, um, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you two, because I've known you both for probably since about two years, and Daryl, you about a year now, but just the fact that I get along with you guys so well and you brought me into the show and included me, it's just like... You're kind of wow. huggable. Thank, thank you both very much. That is uh, hugely appreciated. But uh, yes, I might have the chance to do some work with R&R Games, but uh, I, are the videos live on YouTube? Yet? I don't think they're... Like, they're there, but they're unlisted. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really not necessarily private, now? but they're not necessarily listed. I don't know. We can figure it out. But uh, anyway, uh, just so the public knows that uh, uh, Daryl and Sen and I have been doing some uh, tutorial tutorial videos uh, for R&R Games, the sponsor of the show, so uh, people can quickly learn a bunch of their games anywhere from 2 to uh, 10 minutes and uh, just help uh, the sponsor's games get out there and people play more games. Yeah, we really love R&R Games. We play a lot of them. A lot of our friends have had games signed with them. Uh, as I already mentioned, my, my card game Caffeine Rush is with R&R Games. I've been really excited about um, not only what they did with the game, because obviously I love Steven being part of the art, but, man, I am impressed with the amount of people all over the world that have said that they've seen the game um, because of their distribution and their reach, uh, building relationships and networking with different distributors around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I'm excited that I'll have a game coming out, a kid's game with them, and hopefully next year. Um, it'll be near the end of the year if it does come out next year, but me and Martin Ethier um, have a, a kid's game that will be coming out with them, which is a, a bag builder kid's game. Uh, race game uh, with jungle animals. I'm not sure what the final title will be, but I'm really excited about having my first kids game out there. And uh, another major sponsor that I know uh, we've had great relationships with that Sen just recently made uh, some some news is Toy Vault. Oh yeah, Toy Vault. Toy Vault's awesome. Um, so you know how we talk about developers and people like that. If you get the chance to work with Toy Vault, you you will absolutely love working with Ed. Ed is Ed's Ed is the wonderful. Best. 
Yeah. You will love any opportunity you get. Yeah. Um, and other other sponsors of our show are equally wonderful. Um, but Ed is a wonderful person to work with in development phase. Uh, he is not too crushing, not too hand-holding, and just about right. So I think it's a, a great opportunity. Um, <coughs> sorry. Out there in our Ooh. little maple our syrup feed here. Are there any more questions? Yeah. Guys, ask questions. Ask questions. Come on. Everyone got shy and quiet. Well, while we wait for a question, I'm going to just give a shout-out to uh, uh, our sponsors. We already mentioned r and and Toy Vault. Um, Snakes and Lattes and Game Trays are also some special sponsors for us and have been very supportive of the show. Our gold level sponsors, uh, BGG, uh, Board Game Geek has always been super supportive of us and we, we're really appreciative. Roxley, uh, who made our logo, who is uh, right from the get-go of even the idea of the show, has been really a part of us. Mercury Games, Print and Play. Games, Board Game Bliss, which I'm excited to announce, and I'm going to post some pictures actually on the Meeple Syrup uh, page uh, after this episode, um, probably tomorrow, but I actually got to visit Board Game Bliss has a store hey, now. How's Bo? So Bosco gave me Bosco's a tour. Doing well. That's awesome. Bosco's doing great. He gave me a tour of the warehouse, and they even have a gaming space out front uh, in the store. It's amazing. He does a Oh, Daryl. See, I don't think it was me. I think it was Variety <laughs> of games. And my favorite story, um, chatting with Bosco, which I'll share, and, and this is his words of wisdom, his tip, is just politely keep asking. I asked him how he keeps getting these different games, and he told me a story of, for example, Craftwagon, who is, has an exclusivity for North America with another game uh, distributor, and he continued to ask that distributor and the original one over and over again, please let me just have a few copies. I'd love to have a few copies here up in Canada. And finally, they caved and they gave him some. And I said, well, what was the magic? And he just said, I just kept asking nicely. So uh, there, that's the Bosco advice of just perseverance. Yeah, he is such a nice kindness. guy. It, it totally is his MO. Like, I, I love it. I love it. So... Yeah. Uh, Calliope Games, we have Chasing Dreams, Cool Mini or Not, uh, Gameland Games, and The Broken Token are just uh, a few of our many great sponsors that I want to highlight uh, during our episode tonight. Yeah. Oh, th that's right. There, I'm just looking at the uh, the feed. So, um, for those of you who follow Roxley Games, you'll know that they're reprinting Brass next mm -hmm. year, Big this news. year, which is huge news. Um, I, I, I want to say, say, I was sitting on this news for a little while because I heard, I heard whispers. Yeah, unless we're not supposed to say it, and if so, sorry, Gavin. <laughs> no, it's public now. Okay, good. Um, well, now it is. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, uh, no, no, I saw it somewhere publicly. Well, uh, I was just talking to Oren Bishop tonight, who is the designer of Steampunk Rally, awesome and dude. Gavin as well, and we'll, we'll hopefully have them on the show some point really soon. Another show that I'm hoping to get lined up within the next near bit is we have a lot of friends who actually teach board game design mm -hmm. at like university college level. So Oren does, Jay and Graham do, um, Gary Paquette does, yep. uh, Scott Nicholson, obviously. Oh, I was just going to say, we're, we're going to hopefully have Scott yeah. on a semi-regular yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm spending the weekend with Scott, so we'll, we'll 
yep. figure something out. Uh, Jeff Engelstein, uh, Boyan is just starting. Like I think first day of his ever teaching class was like today. Yeah. Um, and so there's a bunch of people we know who are in the business of teaching game design, and I'd love to hear from them as an educator myself. What do you teach in those courses, and what can we learn from them that's different than just you know us designing stuff on the side? You know what? What's the benefit of going to a course? Uh, most Absolutely. of them teach within a, a video game uh, program, but still they're doing analog game design, which is very cool. Yep. Either a distinct course or some courses within a program. Or, yeah. Now, I have a question because I went to college and we had 45 people graduate and now I think there's two working in the industry. So does this mean we're going to flood the market with game designers? But actually I don't know. What industry, were you, what industry were you in? Uh, I went to school for radio broadcasting. Uh, we had 45 in our class when we graduated. We had like 39 in the industry, and now I think out of that, there's like two. That work yep. still? That work in yeah, radio. Yeah, radio. I, I mean, that might be just radio, right? Yep. Well, but I mean, digital I'm just apps, glad I'm not a doctor. <laughs> digital apps alone, that's a field that uh, there's a lot of opportunities. So I know, I know a few people that are not only looking uh, for employees, but are also growing their own companies in that field. So that seems to be a... A grow industry, not a not a shrinking yeah. industry at this point. And so speaking of speaking of industry, if okay. anyone wants to hire me to do some work, I'm okay with that. <laughs> and speaking of that, uh, Daryl, if you guys don't follow Daryl on Facebook, you should. Um, personally, his Facebook page, if he knows you, he'll add you probably. But he I had, had a, a diatribe so. today. Tell us about the diatribe. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of a manifesto post. Uh, one thing that I had uh, committed to this year. Actually, just near the end of 2014, I decided to quit all my jobs uh, with the support of my family and friends, um, you know, seeking some wise uh, counsel, and decided to go for it to try this last year uh, full-time um, in the game industry, and that meant uh, anything from uh, devoting some time towards this, devoting some time to game design, uh, finding different you know opportunities, anything from, like I worked for a few publishers at conventions, um, got to try a few different hats, anything from sales uh, to um, working for uh, developing games, working for uh, scouting games, that was a really fun uh, gig was looking for um, designs that fit the publisher. You were also a mule. I was a mule, exactly. Um, and so a variety of, uh, and then press, um, press at different events as well. And so from this year, my whole goal was to jump in with both feet, um, learn from everything, connect wherever I could, meet as many people as I could, use this show as an opportunity to learn from uh, different people and their paths uh, in the industry and then evaluate. And so it's that end of the year where it's that time where a lot of people do resolutions or look back. And so for this last week, I've intentionally spent some time um, kind of considering what will the year ahead look like. I'm not exactly sure. I'm going to continue to do a little bit of what I'm doing now. I'm going to maybe um, pursue some other ventures, uh, see what's possible. But ultimately, one thing that I, I did identify was that I really loved this industry and that I would love to be able to um, have something that was a little more secure um, if that meant working for a publisher or working for a company that's involved in the industry 
Um, I would love to have that, and I love working with people. So one of the benefits of freelance is the freedom, but I would love to work with a team of people more. Um, one of the benefits, for instance, of the Meeple Serp show is that we have a team here, and I love bouncing off of each other. Uh, but one of the things that I would love uh, is finding an organization that I can um, help make better and be part of that and kind of celebrate those successes and, uh, yeah, something that I believe in. So I kind of threw it out there uh, because you never you never know until you try and until you ask. Um, I kind of throw out there kind of the banner saying I'm looking um, for opportunities. You know, a lot of people might assume, oh, you, you're doing exactly what you want, so they wouldn't even ask or mention. So that was my intention is just to say I am looking actively um, who knows how long it'll take, or if I have to find some alternatives. The meanwhile, um, I do uh, I do think what I did this last year was wonderful, and I want to say thanks to everyone involved. Um, but as even Meeple Serp's changing a few ideas around, you know, this last year we we paid for a lot of conventions, but we're not looking to do that this coming year. Um, that's one example of a practical reason why I won't be able to go to as many conventions because Meeple Serp made it possible. Um, so I'll have to scale that down, for example, and a few other things like that, some real, you know, just practical things in life. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's that was my manifesto. That was my throwing it out there and saying, uh, let's see what the future holds. So if anybody out there in uh, viewing land has links to companies that need people, Daryl is a people. <laughs> They're very good people. A very people person. Yeah. I, I think what some people don't realize, like, you guys have been in the industry for a while. I've only been doing reviews for 11 months. It's a lot of work. Like, I've done 220-odd oh, videos in a year. That's like 30 hours a week that is out of my time to help other people learn games, do this, do that, spread their love. What am I getting for it other than, hey, this is great. Would I like to make money doing it? eventually, but yeah. for now it's like I do it because I love it, but even like Daryl said, if it could if it could sustain itself somehow, that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm figuring that I, out. I kind right? of pointed to a few examples of people in my post that are doing it and said, you know, those are examples that it didn't just, sometimes it's lucky, but it's also a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's it is a small industry, so it's it's a timing thing. Um, but it's also the cream of the crop. A lot of people do really good work, and because they do really good work, you know, they work their way into those circumstances. But also, some you know, fortune came their way, and that it just you know, right timing. Oh right yeah, person. I mean, opportunity is preparedness. You know. Right. So, so so yeah. So I'm really thankful for this year, and I'm going to keep throwing myself out there. Uh, anyone out there who uh, also on the volunteer side of things, I love trying to support volunteer things, a lot of charity events and things like that. So I'm still, don't hear me not uh, prioritizing and trying to do those things. <laughs> I'm just looking for a way to uh, uh, make this uh, more sustainable. And, and that may even come naturally through some of the games or some of the relationships that I'm already working through. So here's a question to you. What about starting up a publishing company, says Scott Noack Thompson? <laughs> of course I know, right? Scott, Scott would say that. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a great question. And actually, I kind of alluded a little bit to it in my, in my little manifesto. The industry is uh, often at a place, this is what I identify at least, is a lot of small publishers, you know, people forging ahead and creating something um, so that they can be in the industry. Um, and then there's a lot of companies that are kind of already at a place where maybe they have a few employees and they can't grow because, you know, that's kind of their 
their static spot until they hit like the next big jump. Or it's take a big just risk. like playing nations. It is, and so as uh, as the industry continues to grow, then maybe there will become more and more room for someone uh, to take a risk and to see the value of what I might add to a company. I personally think I could do some of the things that a publisher does, but there are many things that I love and respect that they do that I have no interest in doing. That's right. Um, I I see the value in a publisher. I'm a, a big fan of building relationships with your publisher and working all the way through the process. And so from that, I've learned a lot of what they do, but I don't personally see that meaning I'm going to do that. It more is just I understand and can identify people that are good at their jobs and want to find uh, a place where I can come alongside that and maybe um, make it better. Cool. So anything from I love developing games, I love playtesting, I love promoting games, I love supporting um, the community, um, you know, things like that, I, I think are more my strong suits. And the logistics, so things like... Uh, shipping and uh, manufacturing, things like that aren't really my strong suit. I do love uh, negotiating. Um, maybe uh, a bad thing because I always have to remember that uh, a contract needs to be a win-win, uh, but uh, it's not a game, it's real life. Uh, but I, I do appreciate things like that as well. So I've dabbled with the idea of maybe being an agent, um, which Sen and I have talked about that in the past. We've We've talked about um, you know, helping train or or come alongside designers and find ways that we could help in that regard. And none of those dreams are dead. They just, uh, you know, we're still thinking through things, and I'm thinking through how I can do that on a practical, practical way. Yeah, and I mean, we do a lot of it in small doses. Yes, but uh, it'd be how do we make this something that is sustainable, um, not only for us but for the people who might need to pay for the service in a way that makes sense for them, but still gives us some whatever we need to make it happen. Um, now, I, I'm in a completely different boat than Daryl in terms of, well, in lots of ways, just you that know, you know, I have jobs. a full-time job, and, but I have two <laughs> kids, so it's it's totally different, right? And I own a house, Daryl rents a house. It's very different. Um, and yet, it's still the same, right? Money is money in a lot of ways. Um, and this industry is an industry. I mean, we're all sort of, I mean, I'm, we're no longer amateurs, Daryl and I are not amateurs in this business because we actually get paid from doing some of the stuff. It's just the pay is not a lot yet, so, you know, we'll see. Um, back to the feed, we have some, oh, a lot of people talking about who we should get on next. Uh, Tom Vassell's name is mentioned. I'll, 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 address, I'll address the Tom Vassell question. Because uh, Tom Vassell legitimately avoids me in fun now at conventions. Well, I think it's because you wear a red hat. Well, no, no, no. He loves the Blue Jays, so we, we bond. Yes. Uh, that, I finally figured that out, and now we're besties. But um, what I end up always ringing up every time I see him is, when can we have you on the show so we can talk about nothing personal as a designer? And uh, he always is like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. One of these days I'll cave and I'll let you add a show. So you heard it here. We're never going to catch him for an episode, but we might catch him on video at a show talking about game design. So that's, that's one of our missions. And probably our best chance will be at the next gathering. Yes, chances are that'll be when it happens. So that's April of this year. 
So if we forget, remind us. Yes. Um, other people on the list, Martin Wallace, Richard Garfield, Alan Well, Moon. hopefully now with the relationship that uh, Gavin with Roxley has, we'll be able to line up something with Martin. Uh, there was a lot of uh, time they spent together at Essen, so we'll hopefully have, uh, have maybe around when Brass comes out, we'll have Martin Wallace on. Yeah, with Gav, that'd be great. Uh, Richard Garfield, Alan Moon... Mm. Alan, we should Alan, we should be able to get at the gathering. We already talked about it last year and just never lined up an appointment. Uh, again, our mistake um, because he's so busy. Uh, he gave us permission, but just then never had him sit down. Yeah. Um, Garfield, that's that'll be a great one, but I have no idea how how to make that happen. So I'm gonna keep oh, trying. We we know people who know people. Exactly. So we just gotta line it all up. Great suggestions. And then uh, <laughs> somebody said James Matthew because he was too nice last time. Yeah, he was oddly kind, and we need to maybe put him on an episode with someone who pisses him off better. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, James and I spent the entire weekend at Protospiel, like, hanging out. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's problematic. No. Too friendly, too friendly. I like I like to see the, the mad the, dog. The antagonistic James Matthew? Yeah. Just watch his posts. I want on one Facebook. of those episodes. So, um, what... Are you seeking in your game design career is the next question. Do you have any career goal benchmarks? Tyler. A uh, career goal benchmark would be to, one, turn it into at least a part-time job, mm -hmm. uh, but still enjoy it. Um, mm -hmm. I never want it to get to the point where it's a hassle or like, oh, my goodness, i got to do this again. I just want to keep being in love with it. I want to wake up every day and be like, oh, sweet, I get to play this game and I get to learn this and try this and, you know, just love it, love it, love it. And like, oh, I never want to be, oh, I kind of go to another convention, really. Like, I just want to keep the joy rolling and just uh, go for that. Once I win the lottery, we'll all be set and we'll just board game for life. But <laughs> you know, until then... <laughs> Yeah, so, my plan. Yeah. My plan is actually to. Uh, I, want, I think I posted this today. I want to have a like a customer where you fly into with like enough space to sleep twenty four. A world. Oh, I saw that the cottage. That's great, dude. Big eating area. That would be my my dream. That'd be awesome. So that is my career goal: is to make enough money to do that. No, uh, my career goals. I don't know. I, I I've actually. I think I've met a whole bunch of them. Like some of them have to do with certain IPs that I want to work on, and I think I got one for you. Come to pass. What's that? I think I, I'm trying to remember. Maybe you've already done this, so then maybe it's already scratched off. But French company. Oh yeah, that's a huge one, and no, it's not. That so, that that keeps on getting pushed back onto my plate. Um, and the second one I can think of is that you want a game... This is funny. I can answer questions better for Sen. Maybe Sen can answer better for me. The <laughs> second one was roleplay. Like someone to like LARP in a oh, costume. Oh, yeah. So if somebody cosplays as a character from a game I designed, I will have felt that I've made it. If uh, a game gets published by a French company... Not any French company, just like certain well, one ones. Of the, yeah. Yeah, like, well, now it's all, they're probably all owned by Asthma Day, but um, a French company, just because I like the way they treat their artists as well as their designers, um, that would be a very big thing for me. And then there's definitely some Habba. IPs that I want to work at. Oh, Habba would be awesome, too. I love uh, Habba. That would be a pretty awesome 
yeah. accomplishment. Yeah. So any of the publishers that I really respect, I think that's where I want my games to be. Yeah, I have a I have a few that I would add for myself that I've kind of, well, they were on my list this year, but it, you can't get all, everything on your list, or your list isn't big enough. Uh, one was uh, I'd love to have a game with Hasbro. I'm really impressed with the direction they're going. Not just the whole mass market side. I just love the idea of a game being mass market. Um, sure, I would love it to be a success, but just it's a different approach and a different challenge to think through. Um, I would also really like to design a heavier game, um, so something that was more than an hour and a half. Um, also, I'd love to do a dudes on a map game. Uh, I love Risk, and so I would like to design something where it's you know a smash 'em up dice roll fest kind of game. Well, uh, Ethan is studying game. the Seven Years' War, so make a game about the Seven Year War, and he can learn from it. Yeah, oh, I love I love history. So um, I just I just was watching a Gettysburg documentary, um, and then yeah, I would also really enjoy to do a legacy game. It doesn't necessarily have to be with Rob to be an official legacy, although I love Rob, so um, it would be an honor to work with him. But in general, I I really like the legacy mechanic. I I call it a mechanic. Um, or maybe it's a gimmick. I don't know. But I, it's a I, hook. Let's call it a hook. A hook. I a gimmick is not a bad word in my world. I yeah, think, some I think more is. games need gimmicks. Uh, but even hook. Like Marge um, needs guitars. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, that those would be a few on my list. And then just card games. I love um, card games. So I'd love to design more card games in the world. Speaking of card games, we need uh, a certain Mr. Fitzgerald on the show at some point, too. Has he not been on the show? No. Wow, that is shocking. I don't know yeah. how, but yeah, Mike that, hasn't that been needs on the to show. be fixed because he has been very supportive. And of he's us. a wonderful, wonderful guy. So and so much wisdom. I mean, he's the kind of dude. He actually reminds me of my grandpa, where you just kind of want to sit <laughs> and listen kinda, to stories. Kind of like everybody's grandpa. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the board game grandpa, where Let's you just like, listen listen to the story. Can we he make would, a Twitter handle for him, and, and he might kick our butt. <laughs> but that would be really funny if we set up a Twitter handle and made it like it was Mike Fitzgerald. That'd be awesome. Um, oh, Serge asks, are there any designers that you would be interested in co-designing co a game with, and what kind of game? Daryl. Oh, that list is long. I, I The have, top one. Well, Bruno Cathala. Okay, Bruno Cathala, what type of game would it be? Well, I would probably like to design... Well, I'd like to design a two-player game with Bruno Cathala, so all we do is play it with each other a lot. Can I get quality Bruno Cathala time? No, I'm you just get kidding. your ass kicked is what would happen. <laughs> no, I'll, he just makes many of my favorite two-player games, so yeah. I'd love to be able to have one in that category. Yeah, that's great. Tyler, if you could design something with anybody, who would you want to design with? Uh, my favorite designers currently, um, probably Feld, Knizia, um. I don't know. I, I, I like I like both their because one's one's always heavy, one's always abstract, um, and then uh, I don't know. Maybe you or Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> that that could that, happen. That could happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I also want to give a shout out to Alexander Fister. I don't know what it is, but this year that guy just jumped on my radar hardcore. So cool. we're talking a guy who did like Mombasa. Mm -hmm. Also did a variety of like card games. He also did. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Why? 
was always on air that I can't remember. But he did a ton of games this year alone oh. that that were hits. Anyone who guys remember what else? Um, no, Phil Walker Harding. I'd like. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I love how archaeology you go and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Well, Fister also did Broom Service. Right. He oh, also yes. did Isles of Sky. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a cool game. And Port Royal. Oh, and, I love Port Royal. I know. Like, he just, all of a sudden, I'm like, woo, you make great games. All right. Mm-hmm. And yet, a variety. Like, yeah. light tile tile placing, like Isle of Sky, uh, something in the middle of Broom Service, and then something heavy like Mombasa, and then card games like Port Royal. Like, he's just a very diverse mm-hmm. uh, designer that I, I appreciate. Yeah, I'm trying to think. People that are alive that I would want to design with. I think there's there's definitely people out there. Um, in some ways, I mean, I'm living the dream with a couple of things that I've already worked on, so that's mm-hmm. that's been a happy coincidence. Uh, but of, I mean, I, I think I think Bowser should actually work with an actual Asian person on an Asian theme game. So <laughs> that's me. And that and Asian person on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know who? What Asian that's going to be though? It's going to be know. Christopher Chung because he's yeah. replaced us. He's yes. risen the ranks and he's. <laughs> I, I think he has Bowser on his show right now. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> he very might. Well, oh hey, Beth Sobel, Beth Sobel, who's out there in Maple Syrup Land. If you're still there, answer me this: Do you have any of your work that might have maps on it? And if so, can you send me something oh. that has maps? She's awesome. I need maps. She did. She just did uh, Tales, didn't she? I don't know, but she does so much stuff Snow that t- I like. Snow Tales. Snow Tales, the newest version. The art, the cover art. I believe so. Because the rest of it's the same. I think it's been rejigged a little bit, but not but that the, much. But the cover art is significantly different. Yeah, the cover art's totally different. Yeah. So, so I'm yes, sure she did that. Ha! Nice, jo- nice question, Beth. Beth. Beth actually just asked, "What non-game designer?" Would you like to collaborate with Beth Sobel? Beth Sobel <laughs> is definitely up there. Right she up knows there. It. <laughs> she yeah. knows that. That's why she throws the. Uh, I'll also throw out there because uh, I I've said this a lot, uh, but I would love to do a Michael Menzel. Hmm. So yeah. I would uh, I would definitely want to work with some of my favorite comic book writers, and I uh, I have the joy and privilege of doing that already, which has been great. Uh, and some of my favorite comic book artists as well. So that has definitely been something that's come to fruition thanks to uh, a lot in part of Meeple Syrup allowing me to go to conventions and meet people. True. Yeah. Uh, so that's been super positive. Um, so, I yeah, other people? Me. I, I mean, there's, me. com- there's companies I would love to work yeah. with. I mean, I already mentioned Scott and Randy as examples. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited to get to work with Ben Harkins with Floodgate. He was one of my... People I really wanted to work with. Uh, oh, do you have well, games with Flood? Oh, yeah, you do. That's right. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited about that. Um, IDW was on my hit list of so that I could work with some cool stuff. Um, cool Mini is on my hit list. Cool Mini is on my hit list too, man. They, they're evaluating one of my games right Their now. Their plastic so. is so nice. They're so cool. Um, or not. No, <laughs> they are. They uh, are. Dice Me. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to do a ga- game with them. They have, you know, a really great artistic sensibility. Mm-hmm. Chris Kirkman's uh, wonderful too. He's, he's a great awesome. guy. Great guy. 
Uh, I mean, whew, the list is long. It's like I could look around my room. I mean, Hans and Gluck. Oh, that would be a dream. Spiel, super high on my list. Um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people I would like to work with. I I guess too, I really want to work with publishers and artists and developers. Oh, that, that another person, Seth and Andy from TMG. I would love to. Uh, develop, see their development. On I would things. love to be a fly on the wall watching you work. Try to work with Seth. Oh, I would love that would it. Be wonderful, dude. We've play tested together, and it's it's like living the dream for me. I might be killing him softly, but I'm loving it. <laughs> what what I would like is I would like to take a whole bunch of board game boxes and get Beth Sobel to draw me, like, in their cover somewhere, kind of like a Waldo <laughs> thing, to have the bearded meeple on all these different That'd games. be awesome. That'd be so cool. Or, like, or just, or just get your face current. painted onto other characters, like on the t- cover yes. of yes. Friday's Tigris. Put your face on there. That'd be so apropos. Well, obviously, you know, you could do it on Isle of Sky. And a little background pop-in, like, like your photobombing. And um, Lords of Scotland, and oh, that might be it. That might be all. That would be oh, awesome. So Scotland. well talked. That's so pretty. <laughs> so pretty. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so oh, those of Scotland is very, very lovely. That car- that box is like I don't even think it should be opened. It should just be put up as art. I think that whole their whole small card line is brilliant. <sighs> I love it. I love I love Art Deco though, so yeah. um all the Art Deco stuff just thrills me to no end. And then Chris's work, his paint strokes on the other stuff is is well, it's Chris, right? So Chris I can't say anything awesome. bad about Chris. That's a, oh, that's another person I really want to work with. I oh, mean, well, then you I have to work with Z-Man. I would love to work with Z-Man. I feel Except like you I won't could. be working with Z-Man. Oh, uh, that's that's a sad topic. We can still talk about it. Let's let's I talk briefly okay. about that because this is an industry changer for sure. Yes. To me, when I think board games, one of the first names that comes to my mind is Zev. So I'm really hoping he finds the right fit still in the industry. Yeah, um, so I mean, if you guys... What do you guys speculate? Do you think he's going to join with someone or start something new? Well, um, I know of a certain New Jersey guy who would hire him in a second. That's who I was speculating. I know, except that New Jersey guy already said that he can't afford him. <laughs> Oh, uh, did he? <laughs> but, uh, but honestly, sure. honestly, in all honesty, if Buonacore and Zev, oh, that'd be a tag team. It would be like awesome. That would be highly respect team. both of them. Uh, and and they, they, good man, they would be intimidating to pitch to. <laughs> be so fun though. I would have a huge hoot pitching to those two. Is it fantastical? <laughs> Is it fantastical? Isn't that what that's so? That's uh, a Bonacore thing. Yeah, it's one of Bonacore's three three categories for if a game is worth signing. Yeah, I think fantastical might be one of them. I can't remember them exactly, but I have them written down because they're pretty funny. It's on the show. Isn't that the new tagline on Operation? It's fantastical. Tastical. It could be. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um. Yeah. So. After show, we have a question about after show. Yeah. Well, I mean, we might as well just keep on going if we're going to do an after show. We might as well. Just well, for going. this episode, it makes sense for us to just keep going. Yeah. I so, think. so all y'all out there are tired, tired yet? But does Tyler have to go to work? Oh no, no, I'm not working tonight. They didn't call me, so 
I'll, I don't know this, if to cheer or be sad about that. So. Uh, I'm, I'm happy because I'll probably go to the basement and finish doing some videos that started today, so I can keep going. Okay. Nice. All right, so we're going to go for a little while longer. I do have to go to bed at some time. I had a 12-hour teaching day today, so I Ooh. talked for seven hours straight. Oh, that's what I can do. I can go crash one of your classes one day. <laughs> you, you, if you really want to, you totally could, and then I'd have security escort you off campus. <laughs> It'd Don't worry. I know awesome. a few people at Fanshawe. We could like have like an escape route. Someone <laughs> will hide us in a room. Somebody would hide you. Uh, all right. Room. So um, let's keep on this. Uh, this ask me anything type thing. Yeah, so, the questions are wonderful. Um, everybody else also, there, keep on asking I'll, questions because yeah, great. we just keep asking questions. The other thing I'm going to throw uh, and put um, my other people on the spot, but I'm curious if you could point out. Uh, we've already done like episodes in review, but I'm curious if there's been any um, topics um, in general. So not not highlighting the person, but highlighting the topic uh, that you wish we spent more time on, or you really enjoyed, or that you really would like to cover um, this this upcoming year. And I'll start with Sen. Oh, um, I, I would like to get some more hardcore design questions as topics for the main show and then get people to come in who want to talk about that or know a lot about that. Um, so that that would be a preference for me. I love the industry side of things and I, I think we do that really, really well. Um, I just know in listening to like Ludology and whatnot, I feel a little bit undergunned. <laughs> sure, but sure. That's Jeffrey, right, so what are we going to do? <laughs> Tyler? Um... Well, before I answer that, uh, just to name drop someone that I would love to work with, uh, Vincent Durate. I love oh, his artwork. I would love to. So good an artist. Yeah, he's, his work's amazing. Um, I know. I don't know if people have heard. Well, actually, but I'll hold that back. I was going to announce a couple of games that he's doing art for, but I don't know if I'm allowed yet. Uh, anyway, for Vincent Durate. Okay. Um, things for. I'll let Daryl Ansel answer first because I. I, my questions are kind of like, huh, what? Because there are a bunch of episodes I miss, so maybe there's things you guys have covered. Or sure, sure. I mean, um, so some of the stuff that I mentioned before that I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, I mentioned a few things like hearing about different people's workflow. I think that would be really fascinating. Uh, things like content development is a topic that I would love to see um, discussed if that's a all done from the designer side, the developer side. If you're working with IPs, like who's who's providing what content, all that kind of stuff. I think uh, I think that's really a rich conversation. You know how how much time spent on things like that is too much, like too far down the bunny hole. Um, talking about game theory and math, I mean, I love that kind of stuff because I find it inspiring. I find it gets my you know, my brain working in a way that, you know, other, you know, you start you start thinking of, oh, well, what would that game look like for me? And so even though you're talking about the exact same topic, um, each of us, if we came up with a game right on the spot, they'd each be different. And so uh, that's where I'm not really worried about um, people stealing game ideas because we each have such creative minds, and there's so many things that we, you know, I'd like to try. Um that that's where I'm looking for. I'm looking to be inspired and challenged. Uh, that's a good point you make because 
I mean, we've definitely in the last, I would say, five or six years seen a boom in the game industry. Like, I think 20 years ago, you had Catan, Puerto yes. Rico. Like, yep. you had, like, a handful of things. And then there was just all, like, weird war games that people just wouldn't play. But within the last five, six years, like, it has exploded, and there's a lot of awesome, awesome games that could develop, and it's like, holy mackerel, where where's this going to go? Like, what's coming mm-hmm. up next? Yep. Absolutely. Mm. Um, Sir Bob had a, uh, had a question for you guys. He was wondering, um, if you made a special deduction game, how would you spin it? Oh, a social deduction game, yes. Social. Oh, yeah, social. I can't read my glasses. Well, <laughs> I would spin it exactly how I did it in Orphan Black. I was just going to say, Orphan Black, Orphan Black, Orphan Black. Yeah, so take a look at that. It's um, a little bit different because you're not a role. You're playing a faction trying to uh, draw the clones to your side, which is kind of how it works in the story of the, the show. Um, so we tried to be true to the show without having everybody play a clone, uh, A, because you couldn't tell who anybody was, because they're all clones. They all look the same. Not really, but um, it was really a question of how do we how do we get that. So our spin was that you're not playing a role, you're playing a faction, but nobody knows which faction you are, mm. and it depends on how you draw people towards you that will tell you which faction is which because certain factions want certain clones they want to attract certain clones to them and they want to destroy other clones uh, very much in part with the story so if you understand the IP and the story of Orphan Black then you'll know that the Neolutians want to capture certain ones and destroy certain other ones etc etc so that's our spin on it we should get you and Jay on Inner Space because one I love that show and they talk about the whole geek culture, and they're always pushing Orphan Black. Um, and that's going to tie into my next thing. I actually sent them an email a while ago saying, hey, you guys do all this video game culture, you do movies and TV, you should get a reporter to go to the conventions like Gen Con and all this. Because, I mean, that's a huge part of the geek culture that they never report on. And I'm if, like, oh, I mean, I if they don't report on Gen Con, they're missing out on a, like, a huge thing. Yeah, and they, they never talk about it. But again, the Orphan Black game, that would be something huge. They'd say, hey, look, board game people, you know, yep. we're, we're addressing you too. Mm-hmm. That, that would be cool. That would be very cool. Um, oh, what was I going to say? The, How would you uh, spin your uh, hidden role? Uh, actually, so I have one that I'm kind of working on, uh, super, super alpha with John Gilmore. Um so we're doing um, a game that I'm trying to I'm trying to introduce maybe mechanics that are a little unique but familiar. Um, in that uh, one of the things is you actually have to close your eyes a bunch, not just like um, close your eyes and at the beginning of the game, but it's a constant thing. And that uh, you're searching, um, you're searching as individuals trying to find a bunch of different goals. But if you bump into another player, uh, you then become a team, and now you're hunting the other individuals. And so that um, is kind of a game that we're working on that's a, kind of a spies. Uh, naturally, right now, we're kind of thinking like spies, but it could be rebranded in a few different directions. But this idea that you all start as individuals, and then as you... <laughs> Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... So there's a lot of different ways that it could go. Um, so 
we're right now just making sure the gameplay's fun and it's tight. Um, got to play it over the weekend at the Meeple Serp Winter Camp and tested the alpha, and the alpha seemed fun. Um, got to play that with uh, Aladuke and uh, Micah, um, Micah Fuller and uh, Chris Chung. And, um, yeah, so that, that would be one that we're trying to tackle or you know, this coming year, and we're going to play that up of... Uh, there's a little bit of social deduction then in that, um, but we'll see because you reveal stuff uh, each turn, which might uh, say stuff if you're, a, you know, the kind of characters that you are. Uh, it's not so much social deduction, and I've mentioned this to people before. I would love to see someone to create a game, a card game, and it's called "Sucks You're Colored Blind." And the cards are going to be so that a colorblind person is just—it's going to drive them crazy. But they have to work with a partner. But their partner can only say certain things about the card. So then they have to deduce and figure out. Okay, these are the cards I need, and da da da. So I, there's a game somewhere in there. Sucks <laughs> your colorblind. Sucks your colorblind. I'm gonna—I'm gonna say probably the publisher is gonna rework that title. I'm gonna pass oh. on that one. <laughs> But <laughs> I did see at BGGCon a fantastic game um, being co-designed, I believe, by Ian Zhang and Gil Hova, um, where they are making a game that actually is Advantage for the Blind. Ah. Um, and it's a, a racing game. So I'll say that as just a little <laughs> shout-out hint. Towards well, speak, speaking of things that you want to separate yourself from... I got uh, two games in the mail just before Christmas. Uh, one from Patch Products, a uh, party game called All In. And then I got a game from another company um, called You Bet Your... <laughs> and uh, it's kind of their... They're going after the Cards Against Humanity crowd. Sure. And yeah, of course. On, on the back of the box, like, I, I couldn't believe they said this. I'm still going to review it. I haven't looked at it yet. It said, have you licked your partner's blank? But, da-da-da. <laughs> it was like, but they didn't say that word. I was just like, oh, my goodness. This is on the store shelf, and this is... So they're you just, going you just put shelf. that in there yourself, you dirty-minded guy. No, no, I can go oh, get no. the box and show you. I don't, I don't want to like, do do see this box. That would, that would just like, me. I'm, wow, I'm, a pure, I'm as pure as the driven snow. Yeah, like they're, <laughs> they're going after their target audience very blatantly. I was like, wow, I just I can't believe you said that on the box of a game. So, yeah. It's going to be the games. Games, they aren't like just for kids R-rated. anymore. There's going to be a, like a top shelf, like yeah. an R-rated... Yeah, it'll be years. it'll be up there with dirty minds and yeah the after dark ones. versions right. Do you yeah. think I, out of curiosity, do you feel like that's a, a a huge market or is that market over like becoming overly saturated? I don't know if it's overly saturated, but I also don't think it's a huge market. Yeah, I feel I'm like it was low hanging fruit and it's already been kind of. Yeah, it's not a huge market. It's it's. I mean, there is a market for it because those people do like to play games, but I think as long as the games are different enough because there's way too many Cards Against Humanity imitations. Yes. It's like as long as you have a game that's an original idea and it works, yeah, I say game. go ahead and do it. Just don't copy someone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I think there's... Um, what's the word? Well, it's sort of like porn creep, right? Yep. That people who play those games 
if they like them, they're going to be looking for something that's even more shocking and even more shocking and even more shocking. So the market will continue to evolve in that direction. It's just going to be small and niche, and yeah. in the end, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think, is it worth it to get into it? Probably not. But if they do, and you hit it big, then if they came you can buy Picasso then, art hey, and cut it up. We're, we're going to give you uh, 15 grand to make this game for us. <laughs> And you'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. Just don't put my name on the box. <laughs> well, whatever. Um, Question. That's a great segue, oh. actually, for an upcoming episode as well. Oh yeah, um, would you? Which game would you make for <coughs> Grand? So, so at no, no, like ethics and oh yeah, beliefs and such. We have an upcoming episode. We're just confirming the details, but um, this whole idea of having religious thematic games and you know what are what are some of the reasons uh, people are making those, and does that mean or does that dictate things like stealing can't be part of a mechanic or huh, things like that? So yeah. how do faith and beliefs um, inform or influence designers? So we're going to have an episode on that and uh, talk with a few um, designers that um, are excited about chatting about that and... Uh, so that'll be uh, one of the upcoming weeks this the, this month. And so far we have confirmed Philip DeBerry and Jeffrey Allers. And uh, hopefully also we will have Patrick uh, Lysak. Um, and uh, maybe even a surprise guest. So Cool. Um, other questions? There's a couple other questions here. Let's think. Uh, just to answer Sir Bob... Um, Jay usually does most of the development uh, just due to time at this point in our lives. Um, I usually do the ideas and uh, we both break things. How's that? <laughs> you want to say the question? Just Oh yeah, the Bamboozle Brothers, who does the development and who breaks the invention and things like that. So um, Izzy just wants to know how we co-design. And then also, uh, here's a question. So Sir Bob asks, have you been concerned about production costs, profit, playtime? Um, what are your thoughts on those types of things, Daryl Andrews? Yeah, actually, that's one of the biggest things I've learned this last year, especially with uh, once uh, you have a game designed and you get to participate through the process with a publisher, you realize how important all of those questions are. So that reinforms how I design. So anything from thinking through how many cards do you have? Is that uh, easily a printable deck or is that a few extra? Because those few extra is a lot more work. Uh, things like um, are those tokens and so a sheet, you know, how many tokens can you fit in a sheet? Well, it depends what size box and then how, you know, what size box, you know, informs your design because that might inform how big of a board you can have, uh, what kind of weight, what kind of price point you're aiming for. All those things... Um, Early on, I did not think about, and the more and more I design, the more and more that is not only part of influencing how I design, but it's also part of how I pitch my games, is that I try to understand the publisher and what what type of games they're putting out and if this game fits. So that informs who I look to make certain games. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to make the game worse, but I'm going to find, you know, who is the right publisher for the game that it has become. And so uh, anything from if I make a game that's strictly cards, then I'm going to look at a few companies that have card lines. 
or if I have a big box game, I'm going to look at companies that have big box games. And that's not to say that a company wouldn't go there for a great game. You know, we saw, for instance, this year, Blue Orange put out uh, New York 1901, but hasn't traditionally had a box size like that game. So there's obviously exceptions to the rule. But in general, I'm going to design a game that's clever and could be small um, and that works for all ages and can be taught very quickly if I'm going to pitch to Blue Orange. Mm-hmm. So uh, in general, I think the the all those other factors that you just mentioned are really important and practical things that designers need to be thinking about. And that's one of the hopes for this show is that we're informing you from our experience. Practical things like, uh, it blows my mind, but the idea of how much a mold of a dice costs. <laughs> we, just, we, just, we just assume like, oh, yeah, 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 you, they'll just pick a dice. But there is an expense to that mold, and that mold now requires a large enough print run for it to be justified. That's so right. don't design a game with 15 unique dice. Try to think of a game that maybe all of the dice are the same, so you only need one mold or two molds. And so think of, on your design, how you can play around with still the differentials that you need, but on a practical level, not on a, well, this would just be such an expense to make. Yeah. So Wizards, I mean, of, Wizards of the Wild uh, did that. It's a uh, it's a dice game, but each die, like it'll have like a gem, a book, uh, like it's a cool. Hey, that's a unique die, but they're all the same in the game. And then it's how you exactly. use them within the card. So it was really good game. Check it out. Wizards of the Wild, Crosscut Games. Yeah. And so a lot of the things that I learned this year, we're going to talk about that question of you know, are we concerned about production costs? profit playing time. There's definitely something there, and Daryl's covered off a lot of the the same things that we've thought about this year. One of the ones he didn't cover off doesn't have anything to do with production costs and whatnot, but it has to do with rules efficiency. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that Jay and I have talked a lot about this year, like a lot, like more than we thought we ever would, is cutting out things that take too long and are too difficult to explain in words and pictures. Why? Because it, if it doesn't add anything to the game and it takes a page of rules to explain it, it really doesn't have a place in the game anymore, does it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's too complex for what it's worth. The time Which it takes me new... to explain it verbally or in writing is a new limit. Right. Uh, and we a never used to think that challenge. way. Yeah, yeah, we never used to think that way. But this year, um, we've been thinking a lot that way. Maybe it's because we're doing a lot more IP work uh, where the audience is actually, I mean, if we listened to last week's show, uh, when Boyan and Nate were on, they did a really good breakdown of what you should look for in an IP-related design, or when you're doing an IP-related design, how you look at the audience. Um, And so maybe we've been doing that a little bit more because of the work we've been doing lately. But even so, um, one of the things that, cheeses us off as game players is when there's a rule that's only in one place and like it's in a very small place in the corner somewhere and it's called out once but it's a critical rule but it's only critical for this little bitty part of the game and so we've decided to try to cut all that stuff out of our games as much as possible so that the game flows better is teachable in less time is grokkable and understandable just by looking at it and doesn't have all these exceptionalities and these little rules that are hanging on for nobody's 
for no good reason whatsoever. It's like the baggage yep. that gets left behind. And so we've been cutting a lot of that out, um, which has been really, really a beneficial exercise in our game design process. So that's one thing that we've learned, and I think that does translate eventually to the lowered production costs, increased profit, and decreased playing and teaching time. Yeah, I, I, if I can give a, an example of, of one of these that just happened to me actually this weekend, and Tyler, funny enough, hasn't seen this change, but um, has seen some of the progression. He mentioned he played our mm-hmm. airplane, the our airplane, airplane game. game, and he played it at Grand Con, and then he just played it, which was in September, and he just played now, and I think it would be fair to say you saw a lot of things cut, right? That oh, a yeah. lot of things yeah. were streamlined. Um, and that's, again, one of the things we're continuing to try to, to think through is, where we can streamline where it makes sense, and as Sen is mentioning, where it can be efficient. So it actually becomes, you know, maybe even a more elegant solution. Uh, one of the things that um, just all of a sudden popped into Brian Lewis, who's my co-designer for that, mind on the Sunday, he came up to me and he said, I had this thought and I can't shake it. I hope you like it because I can't imagine going back. <laughs> is, uh, and it's funny because he loves bag pulling. So our game started with like, five, six bags. That's crazy. And then we had got it down to two. And I thought, I'm never going to win this battle, but fine. We have two bags that we pull things. Meeples and cubes. The meeples being the passengers and the cubes being their luggage. And we have this aspect in the game that if you can match from the baggage claim uh, the luggage to the passengers that come to your airport, then you get a little bonus. Um, Otherwise, they were flying without luggage anyways, and there just seems to always be luggage kicking around that baggage claim anyways. But all of a sudden, he had the aha moment. What if the cards actually had printed on them the color of the luggage? So you didn't have to go to a bag, pull them every round, and put them on. That that was literally the card, and so you can strategically build a baggage claim with variety or a lot of a kind, or and that would actually become a more strategic choice, and it's just printed on the card, and you don't need now all those cubes, and you don't need a bag, and that just, boom, shaved like a, a significant expense from our game that makes the game fit the table better, makes it more strategic, and guess what? The rule is just so straightforward. It's just, that's the baggage that you get. You get a yellow baggage, or you get a yellow and a green, or you get a red, or etc. So, I think that's an example, hopefully that's helpful for people to see. As you're developing, you start to discover ways to do things better. And mm-hmm. that's why you need to keep playtesting. And sometimes when you think your game is done, it's still not done. Because you just keep playtesting it. Because you just have no idea where you might discover something better. It's interesting. I, I was involved in a kick uh, Facebook conversation on one of the game design forums today. Um, and this guy's asking this question. They sound like legitimate questions. You know, oh, what publisher would be interested in this? You know, it's a, a pretty big 4X type game. I've talked to this company and this company, but they're not really interested right now. They, their lineups are too busy. And it's like, okay, well, do you have a sell sheet? Do you have a video? It's, oh, yeah, I was going to work on that today. And then later on, he gets to the point where he says, yeah, I played it about 20 times. Uh, and I think it's ready to pitch to a publisher. 20. Oh, and man. then I stopped. <laughs> I stopped dead in my 20. tracks of posting. It's like, do, tw- 20 times? Do you think that's enough? Well, the last five times, nothing was nothing needed to be changed. Well, that's so a good sign, but keep going. It, it's a good sign. Yeah. But I don't know if, you know, it's never been blind tested. It's Oof. never been played without him there. It's never been played by people he doesn't 
at least kind of know. And he's like, well, I live in yeah. a small city. Yeah, and I said, you know, you should get out to conventions. You should yeah. send that Thinking game somewhere it. else. You should develop a yeah. tabletop, to, Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator module. There's all sorts of ways to get games playtested. Especially big games. That's, I mean, that's the thing, right? He said, you know, it takes about four hours. And a lot of people were saying, oh, I don't know if anybody's going to even take a look at that. Um, and some people were so. complaining about, you know, not complaining, but, you know, saying, oh, you could do publisher speed dating. And it's like, well, that's, that's not really going to show. That's tough to show at publisher speed dating. But yeah. anyway, so it's just, uh, you know, that, that just goes kind of to your statement of you need to play test and you need to reiterate. And so when I described it, I said, you know, game design is an emergent reiterative process. Mm -hmm. Because until you play it, you don't actually know if it works. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, actually... Play that emerge from the play, right? Yeah, I, I, I believe I was having this conversation with Stefan Alexander, whose uh, most recent game, King Chocolate, just came out. With, yeah. Uh, Mayfair. And uh, I remember having this conversation, and it's stuck with me ever since, but we, j we chatted about how a lot of people think design is the first part, but really design is what we, a lot of people call development. Uh, and then that is that you're constantly designing the game as you're playtesting and reiterating because those are the design questions that you're constantly having to face. Mm -hmm. What game is this going to be? Where am I going to stick to my guns? Where am I going to strip something away? Am I attached to this? Why am I attached to this? All those questions are design questions that you're actually going through. So really, when you think you're done designing and you're into the development stage, you're still designing. <laughs> I just saw King Chocolate online. I'm like, how have I not heard of this color tile lane game? Ah, it's like my thing. Oh, it was at Meeple Syrup. You should have yeah. played it. it was I didn't shelf. even see it there. Yeah. It was in the lending library. Yeah. Ah. It's, it's kind of not what you think it is, but it is what you think it is. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's kind of not quick. color tile lane. It's, it is, in my opinion, an open economy game. Yeah, it's... it's uh, it's a weird reverse engine building type thing. Yeah, it's kind of a conveyor belt. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Of, of um, processing. So let's talk about development. Uh, just because I know that it's come up and you've been involved in a couple of wars of words, not you know negative or anything like that, just with people, specifically Seth, <laughs> and a lot of the publishers are coming back to the designers saying your game is you know, not developed. Oh, um, okay. how can you how can you show that to us without words being... I, yes, we've had more words on this one. Uh, it's funny because um, even Andy um, has had... I got to watch the War of the Words um, between the two of them as we discussed it at Board Game Geek. Because yeah. uh, Seth has a wonderful article on uh, League of Game Makers. I really want to encourage people to go check that out about... Uh, what is becoming identified as a newer problem for designers. And I actually think it's being painted as a bit of a problem on two types of designers. One, the new designer. So someone who comes up with a game idea and then tries to pitch it too soon. And two, on the designers that are making a lot of games, and they're saying that uh, designers are making half-baked games. Uh, these games that it works, and once you know it's play-tested to a point where you know it's working, you intentionally stop the development process to a very finished state. Examples might be content creation, because the 
the publisher will probably reverse a lot of that work and or tweak it. Yeah. And so there becomes kind of this new school approach of designers saying, here's where the game is and here's, you know, three or four ways I could finish it for you. And uh, so the discussion was, you know, should designers be pitching games that look half-baked, that um, aren't finished? And uh, I think there there's a great argument to be had here, A, because it's, it's becoming more and more difficult for companies to take on a game that needs a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So on the practical side, that's very difficult um, in a competitive market. But also, I think there's a bit of a... You know, it would be great for the publisher and bad for the designer if a designer spent another extra year making the game that much done. That would be great for a des- for a, the publisher side, but the designer might spend a whole year and that all might get stripped out. Yeah. So, so I mean, we we're, we're not, not we're not necessarily guilty of that, but we've been accused of it. For yes. Sure. <laughs> uh, that uh, you know, oh, you're you're. I see what you're doing here. You're giving us games that aren't fully developed. Well, yeah. that's not exactly true. Oh, what and we're, what we're giving you is a game that it. plays. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I think it's funny is that certain publishers ask to see your stuff, even when it's not done. So you might clarify by saying, "This isn't done." Yeah. Are you sure you still want to see this? Yeah. Then they get excited and say, "Oh, I want this." You go, "Well, it's not done." Like. Uh, you can either let me continue to work on it and it's anyone's game, or sure, commit to it now and let's finish it exactly the way that you want it to be. Right, and I think that's the other thing too. Is like, I mean, I would see it as hedging our bets yep. uh, from a designer point of view. We're hedging our bets that it's good enough to hook you. And to be honest, it's the way Nitzia does it. Yep. It's actually Nitzia does even less. Way less. He right? gives you an equation. And, and I'm not saying that I'm Nitzia or Jay and I are Nitzia. No. But we're at a certain point in our career where we can actually do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if if we work in reverse from an IP standpoint, we don't hand over a product until it's done. Yeah. So if you want something, you can hire us, and yep. we'll make you that game exactly as you want it, and that's fine too. But yep. if we're going to pitch you something, we have a lot of ideas in our head, and a lot of them get out, and a lot of them get out in a way that is actually very fun and playable. Where if it if you don't think it's developed fully, that's on you. <laughs> in a way, it is, right? Yeah, because if there's a taste. It's the place where you want it yeah. to be. Well, it's exactly. developed where I wanted it to be, and I would play this all the time. Yep. I have so a question. Some of it's in the eye of the beholder, in a way. Yeah, Tyler. I have a question for both of you, just with what Daryl said there about uh, getting half-baked games to publishers. Um, along that line, what are both of your feelings on, hey, I have this where I think I need it to be, you give it to the publisher, and then it's like six months, a year, a year and a half, and you're like, okay, my game's been sitting there, I could have like, you know, could have been marketed by now, like, come on, kick up sure. your heels a bit. What, what are your thoughts on, from the, from the publishers? Like, Sam, why don't you go first on that? Well, um, just, just back to Half-Baked Game for a second, I mean, I see more half-baked games getting kick-started and funded fully than what I will hand over to a publisher. So if they're upset at, you know, what I hand them, Kickstarter's (laughs) rife with that. Not that I agree that I... That's what you're aiming for. Yeah, that's what I'm aiming for. That's just the truth of the matter. Um, (laughs) Gamecrafter. Sorry. Well, see, that's, that's even a little different in its own regard. Those are people who are putting out their stuff 
on their own, thinking that it is finished, and that's on them. That's on their name. That's on their brand. Game Crafter isn't a brand. Game Crafter isn't a publisher. So they're a venue or a methodology of getting a game out. Um, So when we work with a publisher, it'd be like, yeah, we can finish this to your specifications. We can do that. Or this game is finished in our mind or as finished as we can get it done in our mind. And sometimes we actually need the publisher interaction to say, hey, why don't you do this? Oh, yeah, let's do that. That's great. How come we didn't think of that? And I believe, again, in that emergent process of iterative design, that everybody who touches that game and interacts with that game can somehow make it better. And so it's incumbent on the designers to do it, to do the work and the heavy lifting, but to say that, you know, it's half-baked, maybe because the designer ran out of ideas. Or the yep. designer needs you to look at it and give it that extra little touch that makes it a, you know, stronghold game or a Z-Man well, game or whatever. restrictions are on them, like, for instance... Oh, yeah, and I don't you know might, all your restrictions. You might, you might think, oh, like, actually, let's do another deck of cards. Yeah. And that designer thought, I need to stick to one deck of cards. Or, yeah, so or some of it I might didn't be think I could come up with a pyramid to yeah. shake the dice inside. So yeah. I didn't, you know, make that as part of the game. Right, but let's get back to Tyler's question. Sorry, Tyler, can you repeat the question again? Um, just when when you do give stuff to a publisher and they're holding on to it longer than you might like them to, and you're like, hey, come on, this game's oh. done. Are you going to bring it out? And they just keep sitting on it. And then they're suddenly like, yeah, we're not doing your game. Personally, well, other than that, we're not doing the game part. Personally, it depends on how much I want to work with that specific publisher. Okay. And generally, we don't let our games go with publishers we don't want to work with in the first place. I mean, we're not that desperate. Um, And it's a question of trust. It's a question of, did you give us an advance? Because if you gave us an advance, then, you know, it's yours for as long as it takes to get that thing out there. Um, Also, we understand how the business works, which is different than a lot of neophyte (laughs) <laughs> designers, right? So understanding that. So here's an exa- here's a great example. Junk Art, which is coming out from Pretzel Games, which is a subsidiary of Philosophy and Z-Man, etc., etc., uh, that did that wonderful flick em up game that Tyler like demoed for like 16 <laughs> days in a row, um, which is a great game still, by the way. Uh, I still haven't got the new expansion, though. Anyway, um, that game, flick em up, was signed after Junk Art. However, there's a logic in Sophie's mind here. Sophie wanted a flagship game to drive a new line. It's like a system seller in a video game market, right? I'm not going to release the new uh, PlayStation until I get that, you know, Metal Gear Solid 5 or whatever. And when I get those system selling titles in my catalog and the developers have them done, then I'll release the new game system. Same thing with driving a line. Uh, So um, our game, Junk Art, is a great game. It's a wonderful game. Wouldn't have made it if it wasn't. But, and it would have got signed if it wasn't, but it's not a line driving game. Do you know what I mean? It's not a game to sell, to, to impact people and say, uh, Pretzel Games makes wonderful games. It's a game that will say, this is an awesome 
game, it's also from Pretzel Games. Whereas now, Pretzel Games has a name because of how much character and effort could be put into um, Flick 'em Up. Because of the cowboy theme. It was actually all the theme that makes that game sellable and makes yep. that line strong. And so now we're riding on the coattails of a game that was signed after our game. Because Sophie needed a game to make that line have oomph out of the gate. So tell and people how long that game's process has been. From uh, idea to when it comes out. It was based on a card game. <laughs> a card game about juggling. Um, it's uh, probably 11 years. Yeah. yeah. So it's, just, and it's been signed twice. Yeah. So just to give people an idea to not lose hope and to understand also, practically speaking, um, things take a long time in the industry. So yeah. if, you're, if you're frustrated that that Kickstarter you helps support someone's dream, it's going to be a while. Like, it takes time to make games, and it's actually quite amazing how fast some of these games are coming out that are being Kickstarted. Right, so and, try and when to, you, try to have patience. you get a fast game from Kickstarter and you go, oh, my God, this is half-baked, there's yeah. probably a reason why. Yeah, so sometimes, right? Have patience with those games. Have patience when you hear rumors of, oh, you know, I've been hearing about Seafall for so long. Well, guess what? It took time for Seafall to finally get to the place it is now. And now, consistently, the people that are playtesting it love it. And They're we would not have said that a year and a half ago. And so now that it's, you know, it's at true. that place, look forward to it coming out, hopefully this coming year. But nonetheless, it's going to be a lot of work to get the production in time, and et cetera. Yeah. And when you think about production, the design port portion is a long time, but artwork, shipping... Shipping is the killer, by the way. Uh, drying is a killer. <laughs> Things mm -hmm. to dry properly um, so that when they're in storage across in the crate and come over in a non-climate-controlled crate across the ocean, it, bad things can happen in there, uh, like mold if you don't dry properly. If you ever get a game that has parts that are sticking to each other, they didn't dry properly. If you ever have ink that cards are sticking, they didn't dry properly. They shipped too fast. So yeah. you actually want things to ship a little later than too quickly because if sh things ship too quickly, mistakes are made. Yep. This, is, this is just the truth. You can believe me or not, but this is what happens. So going back to Tyler's question uh, for myself, um, I am constantly trying to remind myself to be patient. You know, I, I, I signed a bunch of games this year. This was my year to, you know, give it a try up to pre before this year. I only had a couple games signed and, and out in the world. Um, but this year I focused on trying to, to work with more people and get more games out there. And a few of them I know perfectly well I will not be seeing until 2017, hopefully. You know, so uh, some of those, uh, thankfully, the publishers are very open and have been, um, you know, people that I respect. So they've they've been communicating that. Some of them, um, I have more than one title with them, so it's kind of fun to see, you know, certain titles that are coming soon versus, you know, later in their lineups. Um, but yeah, that's just the nature is that you're in this industry. There's a, there's a lot of companies that have a lot of games, and that may even influence who you sign with. I know, for instance, and I'm not talking anyone out of, for instance, signing with Arcane Wonders, but they, they have fantastic games, but they have a lot of great games signed. I know, for instance, they have the um, Dice Tower Approved 
um, the Essentials line, and they already have, I think, three or four more games that are already in that that are signed. That and haven't come out are, yet. And that haven't come out yet. And those are going to be spaced out. And not to mention all the other games that they have signed. So yeah. don't be surprised if, for instance, you're pitched Arcane Wonders and they're saying, by the way, you know, you're probably looking at 2018. <laughs> like, that, that, that's probably the earliest. Yeah. I mean, Tyler talked about the boom, but the boom can only handle so much from each individual publisher in terms of their and cycle. how much risk they want to take on. Yeah. Their cycle, their production cycle, and their risk, um, their risk assessment. So... Uh, like when Travis and Nick from Action Phase announced that they've already got their 2016 lineup done. Yep. So that's great for them, but if you wanted a game published, you're designer, pitching to them now. No point pitching if you're expecting your game to be coming out this year. Yeah. Don't now, expect if you change your mind and get to a place where you're willing to wait because they're great developers and they're going to do great art for you and etc., then, you know, then there's someone that you still want to show. Yeah. Um, so, funny you would mention their name because just when you were talking there about games changing and stuff uh, this past year, uh, they took Daniel Solis's game Kigi and yep. made it Kodama. So it was like it was this, and they took it, they did this, they did this to it. So it was a good example of a publisher saying, hey, we like your game, but we can make it so much more. And they had their people do the thing, and it was uh, it turned out really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Sen, uh, you mentioned your uh, junk art. Um, this past weekend, I got to play uh, Fake Artist Goes to New York. <laughs> yeah. Loved it. Yeah, it's Loved so fun, it. eh? So yeah. good. So I just, while you guys were chatting there, I emailed Oink Games and said, hey, bearded people here, send me yep. some of your stuff. <laughs> Oink Games is awesome. And, and uh, I just looked a brilliant at, little company. Board, I just looked at the webpage. They got a lot nice. of cool little uh, games. Yeah, Board Game Geek also sells a variety of their games. So, yeah. also if anyone's looking for a an easy way to order them, yeah. uh, check out the Board Game Geek store. Yeah, those the Japanese imports through Board Game Geek store, pretty good stuff. So, and I mean that leads back to your question about the Japanese market and the Japanese games. They're just weird and quirky little games, uh, and I love them to death. Uh, same thing with all the stuff that Asa puts out and whatnot from. Uh, Taiwan, and there's some really neat stuff coming out from the Asian Pacific realm of things. And they are not cheap at Essen. I'll warn you right now. They're not cheap anywhere. They're not even cheap in Japan. That's literally halfway around the world for them to get it there. Because Essen, it was crazy. I was with Tiffany Ralph, the one tar, and uh, she picked up one, and I said, so how much did you get that for? And she That's said, like 30 euros. I think it was 30 euros. For, like, uh, DC Adventure, rocks. it's probably 30 like, euros. I was like, that's crazy. I mean, we're talking that's 40, 50 bucks. It's especially wow. crazy for a game like, uh, you know, a fake artist. She got fake artists. That was the part where it was like, oh, like, when you, we you opened know, it. It's the funniest like, thing, but I, I, you know, I would support that because I love... And that's why she did it. And I love the artist, support, and I love Oink, so... She's one support link. So they were great. They uh, they actually held stuff for me at Essen a couple years ago for Jay to pick up, um, because I was the only one who wanted it. Because <laughs> nobody else knew about what their stuff was about. So I said, "I want this game, this Cryptids game. Send it to me, Cryptids TV." So they brought it there for him. Cool. Yeah. So it is twelve forty-seven. It is getting really late, and my voice up. is about to die. So I am. 
going to have to say good night. Good night. Good night to y'all. Uh, good night, Beth. Good night. Who else is there? Sir Bob. Good night. Um, who's on the list here? Chris Chung, of course. Good night. Good night to Scott Nowak Thompson and Nicholas and everybody else who watched the show tonight, and of course to Daryl and our good friend Tyler. Good night to you guys. Oh, signing off from the very first show of 2016, I guess, hey? Yeah. So uh, next week we'll we'll plan for some guests. Don't know who it is yet, but we'll have somebody good for you guys coming up. Uh, Daryl, you want to sign us all out? Well, I just want to encourage people uh, to keep making great games, and we look forward to playing your game soon. Yeah. Have a great night. Excellent, nice. excellent stuff. Tyler, you got any last words for the first show of 2016? Don't forget to brush your teeth before you go to bed. That's that's, that's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, and you play more games. <laughs> okay, that too. Oh, one second. Something something just uh, uh, blue on us. Want something almost, uh, oh, something's going kablooey, kablooey. Don't let it go kablooey. Okay, okay. We're I think ready. We're, I think we're okay. I think we're okay. We're almost okay. Hit it. Darth Vader says goodnight. Yeah.